If you've seen enough of these shows, you're probably aware now that we're sponsored by the Freeze Pipe, which is, of course, a form of paraphernalia for smoking cannabis, isn't it? Because that's just where we're at now, 2023, and we're very happy to be there. So thanks to the Freeze Pipe for sponsoring this particular podcast. Now, you might think, if you've seen past episodes, I know where you're going with this, it's going to be that whole thing about the food safe glycerin chamber and how it lasts like, you know, an hour in the freezer section, and then it comes back and it cools the smoke by over 200 degrees. No, no, you are right. That is the original Freeze Pipe product. But they have all sorts of extras at the Freeze Pipe, actually, which you can get 10% off using the code LFN at thefreezepipe.com. Like, for example, they have the V pen. So you know what they say, the pen is mightier than the sword. Now, I would never advise anyone smoke cannabis using a sword. Doesn't even seem like sort of a reasonable item. So I would always go straight to the vape pen in that scenario. And in this particular case, see, in comes this little bag, a little cool little bag. So you, can, you know, inside it, it's quite small because it uses cartridges If people don't know. You don't just put the raw material in there, you get a cartridge like version of like the oil, I'm guessing, and then it just works in there. Comes with the USB charger and all that, has a battery inside, it's just got one button that you press. And of course, the reason why the vape pen is legit is because one, you can fit in your pocket. Secondly, you don't have any smoke involved at all there. Whereas like for the other products, you're cooling the smoke to make it less irritating. Vape, as the name suggests, uses vapors. So at that point in time, the way you heat it means you can have zero smoke at all in your lungs. Now then, they also do have, if you like to smoke the old classic joints. You might think in my work and on my shows, I give out a lot of blunt tips, don't I? I just sort of tell people what I think, but just in a really obnoxious manner. But they also do have the actual the blunt tip there they go the glycerin blunt tip so what you do with that I think I've shown this one before is it's not that big it's quite small also the piece itself is just that big as you can see I think you can use your brain and figure out what goes where and you know how you might use this device at that point in time you get your blunt you pop this it only takes 20 minutes in the freezer section it's also fluid safe glycerin chamber and all that crap put it in there bring it out, then use it as a way to smoke a blunt without getting hot, irritating smoke in your lungs and just enjoy the experience of cannabis as I am want to do. And also, just give you a little freebie, for the sake of the freeze pipe, I won't say which tweets. Don't worry, I have tweeted some of my most famous and some might say epic tweets while absolutely enjoying cannabis-related <laughs> products. Sometimes vapors, sometimes cool. Sometimes, quite frankly, maybe that hot take smoke was getting to me. Who knows? But the point is, you can just enjoy cannabis. You don't have to then tweet out things that t trend on Twitter for a week. I, that did, the sad thing about my career is that didn't even give it away that I trended for a week. It's like, narrow it down, will you, mate? Which, which week was that? Then? <laughs> don't worry about it. All you need to know, by the way, thanks to the Freeze Pipe. If you want to check out their gear, including the original Freeze Pipe that has the awesome food, safe glycerin chamber, check out thefreezepipe.com for 10% off with the code LFN. If people don't know... When I actually have had those times I've trended, you know when they did that thing recently, Maui, where they announced like monetization for Twitter? And then when people saw it, this is when I knew, no matter how much people tell me I suck at Twitter, that like, mate, I trip over and just get millions in engagements. Because if you know that the flaw that they set for it was you had to have something, like, I think it was like 3 million engagements within, I think, like a three-month span. I think, I think it was... 3 million impressions, I think. I think maybe. it was 3 million impressions yeah. in three months though, right? It wasn't like per month. Yeah. And if people don't know... I think my average per month is 20 million. So it's like, mate, I could, have, I could basically tweet once, take two months off. I still qualify for that. So all I'll say is this. I'm not like the others. I'm not actually going to like actively just do it to bait you to, to get the rev. I'm basically just going to already profit from the things I already tweet. So don't worry about it. But spoiler, 
If you thought I was bad before, I'm never going to wear that. Understand? If they actually, yeah. if that money ever hits my account, I'm never going to wear that. Like, I was bad enough yeah. when it was for free. And essentially, in fact, you can even argue in the past, it was actually hit a, 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 a hit to my career to tweet. But now if I'm actually going to make profit off it, then yeah, let's just have fun, shall we, boys? We'll be I, in there. I got a million per week, but I actually haven't gotten to the to the ad thing for some reason. I'm kind of annoyed, actually. I don't know why. Oh, I felt like it's supposed it's to weird. pay everybody out, but I, I, it shows me I get a million impressions per week and I've gotten like it didn't say in the last It didn't say months. in the back like you're eligible for the monetization or whatever. It, it did, it did. I clicked it and then it just says that your payments are on hold or that you have no payout history is what it says, which is weird. And you just have to set up know. the account and wait like a week or whatever. So we'll see, we'll see on that. We'll okay, see on that. okay. All right, yeah. Just the joke there being, if people don't know, inadvertently... It's actually like they designed this feature, if you don't know, for people like me and Maui. Because it's just <laughs> about raw engagement serves you an ad when you when you watch enough stuff, right? So you don't have to like our thing. You don't have to like to interact positively with our thing. You just have to see our things annoy you, make the mistake of viewing them, get served an ad, at which point me, Maui, and Elon Musk are just laughing all the way to the back, taking our cut of it all. And then you're just, you, it's just you, a random pleb who doesn't have a freeze pipe, all hot under the collar, like, oh, I'm pretty irritated now. And then sat next to Nafani and Simple, just going like, oh, I wish he'd stop tweeting. It's like, did you hear the earlier part? We're never going to stop doing that. You idiot. What are you talking about? They're paying us for this now. It's outrageous. So, yeah, it's great. Basically, now we are literally WWE villains just making mad squirrel off, coming out and just going, hello. And then like, when you're in like Kentucky, like, you're like, Alabama. Oh, who cares anyway? You're all rednecks. That's basically how my Twitter's going to be for the next like 10 years. So, like, our <laughs> guest for this episode of Snake and Banter, who obviously I waited there, let all the nonsense get out there, it's going to be Dicha. Now, I might, I don't know yet, I don't know yet, Dicha, whether or not during the whole episode, I'll just try and straight flex on Maui that I'm the only one of the two of us that can say Dicha. I might just say Dicha, just to be nice to him and make it cooler. What do you say? Do you actually mind that it's, you have a pretty hard name to pronounce for people who aren't from Poland, right? I mean, you can say whatever you want. You can even call me by my name, but okay. it's pretty hard to call for any people because they are making mistake every single time. There you go. I even said it to the HLTV guys that just put this sound and put Deha because this is how you need to say it. Yes. But it's super hard for everyone. So I'm just used to that. Everyone is saying it wrong. So. No, listen, I get it, mate. I mean, not a lot of people know that I did actually at one point in my life learn a whole bunch of Polish words, but enough said about that whole part of the equation of my entire career. We'll just memory hole that whole bit. Never happened. Never happened, right? Let's get into this episode. So, Deha, obviously, we like to start with the guest coming with the first point. So, what did you pick for your good point? And by the way, just for the fans out there, when someone is the guest, they are allowed to make a lot of the points around them and their team if they want, or things they're interested in. They don't have to be like the rest of us who are just nerds doing the generalised games. So what did you pick as your good point, Dia? I mean, just pick the answer overall, like this, at least this season. Like after we uh, switched Valde for nerds, so I just picked playing with nerds. And then also I have Sanpaius being consistent top five upper and then... I have also Snappy transformed into one of the best in-game leaders together with So as a coach. Oh, by the way, just before we get into it, a quick thing I want to ask you about was, I saw Nertz himself hinted at this. As far as I can tell, isn't the story just basically what he implied? As far as I can tell, before Valde came in, it would have just been Nertz who was going to join in like that fifth spot or something, right? I think we trialed Nertz, but he was super stressed 
Like, not, didn't do well in the trial or something? I mean, he played like one or two pracs, maybe three, three pracs with us, and he was super stressed. Like, it was not the nurse he is right now. Like, he was super stressed. He was almost afraid to talk, but okay. I'm really happy that he changed. <laughs> yes. Okay, just thought I'd ask that. By the way, give us some thoughts, though. Expand the topic. Like, we get the basic topic is how Enz is doing in general. So here's what I think you should do to give us your angle here, Dika. Give us your angle on how it happened. Like, for example, when Winston Pius joined the team, for example, like, everyone saw what he was like when he was in that Movistar Riders team at the last Cologne and he had, like, the one-off tournament, you know, a big pop-off. But, like, a lot of people might look at that and think, like, you know how Immer was at this last major? A lot of people will think, yeah, but it's just one performance. You know, will they ever do it again? No one really knew if this guy will be, like, a really world-class op. Like, when he joined the team, how long did it take before he got comfortable like this, do you think? Before he got integrated into the squad and he got to this level? What do you think What had to be done to make that happen? I mean, it took at least four months because... First two, I would say it was pretty rough for us and for him because he was changing from Spanish to English. And trust me, it wasn't really easy from the start because we played few few pracs like at the start when he was sometimes speaking Spanish to us and we are asking like, <laughs> okay. Suna, it's, it's answer, not movie star anymore. Okay. <laughs> like you need to you need to speak English, but it was very rough for him at the start. But I think he he did well and sometimes he cannot really speak that fast because it's not really easy for him to speak English. Right. We, we know that he's trying his best, but sometimes he needs to just chill a bit and then he needs to think what he wants to say and then he's saying what he wants. But I think he's doing a pretty good job. But I, as I said, like the first months, it was pretty rough for him. But right now he's one of the best, I would say. All right, on the last bit, though, before I let Maui jump in, tell me the bit on Snappy, though, because obviously Snappy's been there the whole time. I mean, he's been, I mean, you guys have been together now, what, like two years or something almost at this point in time, right? You joined, like, latter part of 2021, 20, I think, with the line you came yeah, to, right? Me and Marco, we are there for two years and seven months. Together. What do you think's changed, then, since you first joined up with him? Because now I agree with you. Like, we, we often discuss on this show and on Hot Take Point, maybe because I'd like, you know, where's Snappy in the rankings? I'm with you, mate. Like, the thing I think about the Rise events is, dude, he's probably just the best IGL right now. If you look at who he's working with, like, he's doing a great job every tournament. Yeah, I think he is. But I think also So is helping him a lot. And then right. also, right now, almost every one of us, we have some experience i would say we played few lands and before we started going for lands for like the, the top four finishes like every single event we didn't play any like big lands we just had a pro league and then we played only online cs so i think the experience helped us and also our coach is a big thing for us come on then maui He's given us your bunch to work with there. What do you jump? What do you want to jump in on? By the way, it is. I will say on this show, if you don't know Dija, we are actually like sort of Loki and fanboys. Like we've, yeah. it's very, this is very easy. Like you served him up an easy one to go. With. So there's the alley oop mouse name. Ence is pretty good, aren't they? You know, fucking come on. I was, I was almost <laughs> thinking that I would just pick that as my good point actually, because it's just that I was, I was kind of doing this thought experiment when Ence entered the grand finals of Gamers Eight. That in some ways, depending on how you consider your ranking you could actually say Ents is your number one, even though they lost, even though you guys have lost a couple of your finals. Uh, the fact that you won Dallas and then have come in second three times in a row at the other events that you've played at, it's it's kind of how back 
maybe seven months ago, we would consider that Heroic was the best team just kind of by virtue of the fact that they were so consistent at the, and their floor was so high. So we almost had to say, well, there are pick to go deep in every tournament, but we're not necessarily saying that they're the ones to win it. But you guys have actually proven that you can win with the Dallas victory. And also the fact that in many of the matches, in, even in the finals, at least you're taking a map or being competitive. And so I would say like one thing that I thought was funny that you did bring up there, which I noted, I think pretty quickly when I was watching Sun Pius play for you guys, was that there were moments pretty early on when he was being integrated to the roster where I remember vividly there was one round on Mirage. I wish I could remember who you were playing against, but like Sun Pius was opping back triple at A site. And then he spotted a guy get to Tetris, like swing out. Like he saw two guys get out to Tetris. He killed one. And then I think your other A rifler probably, I guess that would have to probably be like modern or something would have like he peaked, but he didn't, he just wasn't even looking at the guy Tetris. And I was like, oh, Sun Pius didn't even communicate that. But I'm glad to see what's happening now with the roster where the communication seems a lot tighter than it was when he was first joining. And on top of that, uh, with nerds, it just feels like there's been a complete identity shift in terms of just what you guys are better at, how you guys have more firepower, how even in rounds that you're disadvantaged, you have a chance still. Whereas before with Valde, I kind of felt like, oh, okay, you guys are down in a 2v4 and it's Valde and somebody. I, I don't know if that's going to actually manifest into anything. Mm, I mean, we've, when we played with Valde, even though I think he was okay as a fit to the team, we missed firepower. Like we didn't have a chance versus anyone because we just couldn't trade. We just couldn't kill anyone. We just missed a lot of firepower and that's why we went for nerds. Yes. Right, okay, I've got a bunch of topics on this one. So on ENS in general, I, I actually do think there is a re like what I think so funny is I get why if you vitality your whole thing's like yeah but look at the other tournaments we won and it's like if I do I do it differently to other people I only count five man rosters as far as I'm concerned as soon as Dupree left it's a new project like you already saw even with this vitality it took them a while to get back to a similar sort of point and quite frankly they're not the same team at all in fact the firepower on that team now is crazy because they got rid of Dupree like it was actually embarrassing how the joke is maybe we'll get to this at some point in this episode I don't know if people don't know there was some stat where like like that MVP that Zemu won, where he did like, cause it's the HLTV rating. Obviously the rating's always going to be bonkers if you're some opera MVP. I think he had something, someone said something like the fifth lowest ADR of like any player ever to win an MVP or something, which just shows you how bonkers the talent is on the Vitality now. So to me, like, yeah, that team's really good and all that, but I only view them as like they've won one championship with this squad. Like the rest of it's like a brand new lineup and they've been like, yeah, they were good at the last one, didn't quite get there. So to me, I think if you look at like raw consistency, Ents now is in the position that Heroic used to be like three months ago. They're the team that I can bet to get to the semi-final. I don't even need to know the bracket. That's the coolest part, actually. Because the other part I think people have missed about um, Ents is, who can't they beat? They beat G2 earlier in the year, the same G2 that won kind of eats here at the Pro League. They beat them. They've beaten Vitality at past event. They've beaten every single team. Their big problem, obviously, is you are also the heroic category where it's like the finals is your problem. It doesn't seem to be the opponent, though. That's the interesting thing. And I don't blame you because... Here's the difference. It, Heroic had like two years to figure this out. Your team, like realistically, bear in mind like the Spinks thing was very brief before he left. 
They've had like, what, <laughs> this year, Max? Like, I mean, when Nerdstrike, I think it was what, in February? So we're really talking like, actually, this is perfect trajectory. Like if you were making like a realistic expectation of where you should be, you, you would pick things like, right, you know, let's hope we make like one little run at Pro League. Did that. Let's get into the major. You wouldn't expect to make a deep run. Let's just get into the major. Got there. Let's like, let's make a final. How about that? Like to actually already won an event, been in a bunch of these finals. This is actually all fine so far. So to me, I think actually right now you can make a gear sense as number one in the world. I probably wouldn't. I'd probably pick Vitality Fight to like gun to my head. But that's also because when I do my pick, I tend to pick it if I think you would win in the final. People might know in the past that's why I didn't give the Heroic the top status, even though, like I say, if it wasn't for the final, they probably are the best team in Counter Strike three months, six months ago. Then on all the different players, there's a million angles. Like the Sun Pius one, I think it's quite interesting because. If you watch in isolation, I've actually watched quite a lot of POVs of this guy ever since Movistar Riders. He isn't some, like, guy where he's just, like, every shot so crazy, like, the flicks he's hitting, you're like, it's just blowing my mind. Like, I think there's, like, Russian orbs that look way crazier. But, like, it, it, the key thing to him is it's the style of play that he has is, I think, is so dangerous. And what is awesome in this team is you've integrated it completely. And if people don't know, it's such a different style of play than how Hades, who used to be the orper, played in this team. It's a really different style. And he clearly, actually, as far as I can tell, that's a guess from outside. Hades, I always felt like in the squad, suffered maybe from not knowing like what he wanted to do or how much in, 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 initiative he wanted to take. Some Pius seems like the opposite. He seems like a guy who knows exactly what he wants to do and makes his own calls, makes his own plays and goes for it. So I think it, it seems like a perfect fit so far. Everything's, everything's fixed up. I think the Nerds angle is pretty cool. He's actually gone under the radar, I've noticed, probably because he didn't get to win MVP. I don't think people know. That the tournaments, when he does hit... He this is a player who can only hit or miss right now. He doesn't have, like, a super consistent game. But when he hits, he is, like, top five rifler in the world. Like, just straight up. Like, if I took yeah. the nameplates off and I took a bunch of fans and I said, like, like in these, you know, in these uh, examples, I'm showing you, the following players are there. There's, like, Frozen, Nerds, Nico, Axile, whatever, Keserat or something like they would be shocked by how good the Nerds clips are. They're all going to think of them, oh, it should be the worst. Get out my face. It would be like literally one of the three best out of those names I just listed. It's really impressive, the eye test on this guy. So that's already integrates. And, and here's an angle I think's mad underrated. Everyone who's in ENDS, when they talk about Diha, always goes, oh, he's like the underrated one. Like he's like the real star player. Like, first of all, I saw all those finals, mate. He'll even tell you himself. Obviously, he isn't. But then more importantly, whenever anyone tells you that angle, Maui, here's a little tip for you, a little a lens for you. Whenever anyone says, like, you guys just don't see in public, like, sort of nuanced what he's doing. Well, then you're obviously not the star right here. Because the good thing about star players is they don't need, you don't need to tell me someone's the star, do you? Like, I can see him slamming a ball, like, putting a puck in the net, you know, knocking someone out. But when you have a player like that, where what you're really telling me is, like, his skills are underrated or he does something in the team that people don't see, that sort of a player is actually perfect perfect if you know my classical model of a Counter-Strike team for where Descartes actually is in ends which is he's sort of like the third star and if he has the right game and the right map he can go off otherwise he doesn't have to if he doesn't have a good game it's not they lose the game instantly so I also think the balance of this team is crazy it's actually ridiculous and then probably the most underrated aspect is not only is Snappy doing an awesome job calling mate I used to think he overblew this back in the day because he always used to build this as like, oh, I'm better fragger than people realise. He actually is. And what's really shown me is yeah, as the years yeah. have gone on, because isn't the guy like 33 years old, mate, he is way too good a fragger for an IGL. Like the amount of 1VX he wins just by actually shooting the other guy is really impressive. He's not he's not like the really old school IGL just winning with his... Bri he's actually just straight fragging people. He's actually a pretty legit player. So I think if you look, and the last thing I'll add in about Ents, that is probably the most underrated aspect. And this is why when fans tell you, Maui, like, well, 
anyone could just look at the map pool. And in fact, on HLTV now, they've done an even more advanced breakdown of the map pool when it's a matchup, etc. This is how you know no one looks at that. Dude, the way you know Ents is actually like one of the best teams in the world is their map pool is unbelievable right now. And they have one of the coolest aspects, which is if fans haven't noticed, because the permaban of Ents is Inferno. It means that when they play the amazing Inferno teams, that's straight off the table. So if you're some fucker like a Vitality or a G2 that wants to, well, good luck, it's off, it's gone already. If you're Heroic, it's off, it's not even going to be played. And if you ban Inferno, this should be the obvious logical follow-up point. It means you are committed to playing all of the weird customs. You are playing all three customs, Maui. You're playing Anubis if it's there. You're playing Itchin if it's there. You're playing fucking good old Vertigo, which they even like, apparently, because of that sort of masochists in this team. But that, what's cool about that is, they actually have one of the most unique map pool matchups in a pretty much anyone in the world. Actually, that's another reason why they're getting all these competitive games against everyone. Because a lot of other teams, they're just good on the classic maps. Like, everyone normally plays Inferno. So even if it's like your fifth best map, you're going to have to play it and lose it to Vitality if they pick it every time. So I think every aspect, if you notice, every aspect's coming from a slightly sort of off-kilter angle, but it's working, it's hitting right now. And collectively, again, this is why it's, I get heroic vibes. Like collectively, the team is so much more than the sum of its part. Like it looks mega right now. Like if, if, there was a, if there was a major tomorrow, the big problem is the experience factor. Like that's the problem. I can't bet on people till they've done it. But if, if we took out experience, like I would guarantee this team makes the playoffs. Like right now they look like a lock. It looks like it'd be impossible not to. So yeah, solid first good point. I, can't, I've, I have nothing, nothing bad to say really. Just because we're on the topic and I know Diha has a lot to say, I do want to talk about or ask about like Saw because I think that's always the biggest question mark for analysts and just people that are discussing teams is how much does the the coach do you guys have said already quite a few times that him and snappy are the ones coming up with everything with and to the best of your knowledge like what 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 does that mean like is he bringing all the strats or is he bringing the the structure of the team like what what is saw bringing in addition to snappy i mean when it comes to the strats it's marco and like Bosman, they are doing it. Like Marco likes to create the strat, or like he's sometimes watching the teams, and if they have something good, he's like, we should copy, but I will edit the strat. Like we never copy full strat. Marco is always editing it, so it's more like he's just saying it's better for us if he will edit it because then he will understand the whole strat. Because a lot of the teams, they are like they like to copy what the team is doing but they don't understand what, like about what is the strat so for us it's mostly bossman and uh, marco doing it and i think they have a like they finally we like we find out the perfect balance between our coach and marco because at the start we like when there is a new team we are we changed players like every four months so it was super hard to to find any balance even in our li like <coughs> lineup we didn't know what to do in the team and then you need to play seven maps like we tried to play inferno also but it was weird i would say we tried to play it with valde and i think we even beat cloud nine it was on in katowice i think on lan so it wasn't really that bad but we felt like inferno is still like lower in the ranking than overpass for us so we went for overpass instead and yeah i think so is just super smart like he sometimes when marco is feeling the game so is not even saying a single word 
he's just taking, uh, for example, timeout sometimes, and he's just saying, Marco, you are, for example, calling insane, but sometimes in like clutches, on in like if we have 4v4, 3v5, or something like this, you just need to chill more, and then you need to find the solution, like find the plan to the round. But mostly it's, yeah, between them. Fair enough. Right, go on then, Maui, what's your good point? Mine is uh, about the recently announced uh, CSGO Asia Championships. It's just, it's just that I think it's a good thing for the space for tournaments to finally be going on with Tier 1 teams in China again. Uh, this was more or less because of, I'd say, their COVID restrictions, where it was so difficult for such a long time to get back into that country and to get visas acquired for everybody. But now that we see that Ents, for example, being one of the teams invited, there's G2, there's FaZe, Mao's, Liquid right now. They're going to have a couple of Chinese teams in, uh, through qualifiers, and then I think they have a eighth remaining slot for... I, do, I don't even think they've really announced what that eighth slot is. But either way, I just think that getting the game over back into Asia in terms of a big LAN is really important for the health of the scene. And because the game over the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic and after it became so Eurocentric, it started feeling like that's the only region you can find success in. We've seen teams like Liquid, for example, just throw away the North American sort of uh, heritage and just go just swing over to become a European team because they've recognized it too. But I think that if you start having events in these kinds of regions, if the, there's like uh, just building up a fan base or also even giving their pros in that region chances to play against tier one pros on the planet, then you have, you create opportunities for those regions to get back into the scene for them to potentially pop off also. And I would say that Counter-Strike and really any sport for that matter does get better when there is more international competition. Have you ever been to a tournament in China before, Dija? No, no. Ah, okay. I mean, it's good that uh, we are finally moving some events outside of Europe. And as a player, I like to travel. And it's nice to go to the new place. But it also depends on two things, like if you can park there with anyone and also if the internet is good, because what happened in Arabia, we couldn't park because no one was parking, like, or the teams parked when we couldn't park. And then also internet was really shaky. So right. when you cannot park and you cannot have a proper connection, it's... Like, what can you do during the day? Like, you can do the Fury for the officials, you can prepare for, like, for the matches, you can pre prepare for maps. But outside of that, what can you do? We are not going to play aimbots 24 hours. Like, this is what we need as players. Like, we need at least to play a few pracs, but it's hard. It's also the same thing happened in Brazil. Like, we could prac uh, practice only Brazil teams. So it's not really helpful for the teams. Like, I understand that people want to move the events outside of Europe, but it's not really the best idea sometimes. I'm just trying to double check on this actual, this edition that they're doing now. 
Because the strange thing, if people don't know, because this is a tournament that's been run a number of times, especially obviously before the online era. In fact, people might remember it was won most famously by Mouse Sports in the 2019 edition, which was the first event that kicked on that like five final spree they went on with Rops and Frozen and Carrigan. And then if you remember the year before was when it was won by uh, Simple's Navi, when they had the, like the three tournaments they won, they won like a Star Series and then Cologne as well at the same time. So it's actually an event that's been around a number of years, but it was always like this type of format it would always be sort of like two really good teams then like two like sort of good teams in the top 10 then two like whatever and then two like asian teams or something or like you know one from korea and one from china so i'm not sure for this edition but seeing as it says like all the other ones it's had the organizers perfect world who if people don't know is like the main organizer of valve related games i think it's even the distributor of csgo in china it's the people who've like uh, helped run like the Dota tournaments there and these past ones. As far as I know, it was nearly always PGL just white labeled it for them and they were the ones that ran it. That's why people like me and Anders and I think maybe even Semler have been there in past years. So it's, it's certainly interesting that it's come back again because it has been so long since we've had Chinese events at this point in time. And if people don't know, it was actually, without going too much into it, that's actually what sort of spoiled this year of CSGO and the timing of bringing the game, new game out or not because there was supposed to be a major, the, the end of this year kind of like the sort of time that this event would happen and it would have been in China if people don't know but at the time to be fair this was last year they decided all this at the time no one knew if we could, essentially since no one knew essentially it was just taken as we can't they just thought we won't have the logistics to be able to do with a major there so they cancelled it and that's the reason why I mean this is actually leading to one of my points later that's right basically aside from tournaments like this we're just sort of sitting on our hands until next year when Katowice comes around like for big events in CSGO like we're not just waiting for CS2 there's also just no events scheduled unfortunately because of all this weird logistical stuff so all I'll say on this one is people might know I'm not a guy who buys the hype on a lot of this stuff like I don't really think like having events places makes people play the game or care about it more or grind more I think that's sort of like a movie storyline but I will say the key thing for me is this they already have had like a decent amount of events in China in CSGO. The key thing I am going to look towards that I'll tie into this is when CS2 comes out, I hope, I just really hope Valve has rethought their whole strategy. Because if they just do the same thing they did in CSGO and think that they can just distribute CSGO at CS2 in China and that people will just play, they won't, I'll tell you right now. It's not the way their culture works at all. It's all about like those LAN cafes and is the game installed on the PC? And if you go in the LAN cafe and you're a kid who doesn't know what game, is there like a cutout of a couch? strike guys and like check out the new game and you know get a skin or something if you sign that's the stuff that makes people play the game and so to me the really interesting thing about the timing of having events in china again and cs2 coming about is right now there is still a very real chance because people don't know riot sat on their hands a long time about getting valorant released in china and only just as far as i know got released recently or like first started to be played i'm not even sure if they have servers fully yet sarah but there's still in theory a window where you could actually like take that ground from valorant because if people don't know in League of Legends, the main player base and viewer base is China. That's what pumps that game's viewership up to be more than ours. If we could ever have that in CSGO, by the way, that's where CSGO could become like the biggest game of the whole world. At the moment, it can never be because there's millions of Chinese people watching League of Legends. So for me, that's the real opportunity there. Is if you ever figure out how to actually like do the publishing 
and marketing in those regions, that's when the game would really, really get huge. Because there's a little hint. I know people are going to think, who cares though? Like, we all saw, you know, Ty Lue in CSGO. No, Ty Lue was a bunch of ex-CSGO players and people, or what CS 1.6 players and people who played for years who were just hanging around like a lot of the Koreans were. Uh, the, you know, Termi and those guys that were still around back then. And they were just trying to compete. If you haven't seen, in Valorant right now, one of the better teams, EDG, actually is a bunch of Chinese players in Valorant. And their mechanical skill, because they're like 17-year-old players is mega. Like, if people don't know, the player base in China is crazy for games. So if you can ever get those millions of people activated, I'm telling you right now, even though no one will believe me in CSGO, if it ever happens, this will just look like so prescient, it's insane. I'll tell you right now, if they ever get it so, like, millions and millions of people in China play, there will be someone, like, simple level that will come out of China. I'm not joking, literally, because you don't know the scale of the number of people we're talking about, guys. Like, it's just so many people that, like, the chances become incredible to do that. And, as a random aside, because they all come from those PC cafes, it's just so weird, but they actually all come from the opposite way of playing TAC FPS than we all do in the West. You know, in the West, everyone's got that meta down of like, right, because you're on your home PC and you've used loads of like different sensitivities and mouses, you all move to like a fairly low sensitivity with a big mouse pad and a thing, and then you all just like learn your act. No, no, they all do the opposite. They're all still in PC cafes with that tiny mouse mat and a shit mouse and insanely high sense. And what that means is, if, it, if people don't know this, it sounds like a booming angle, but if you know about mice, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you ever get good at hand aiming on a really high sense, this is how a leisure aims if people don't know, your aim will be fucking bonkers. Now, the reason people moved away from that is you'll get, you'll get injuries very easily because you're just abusing that muscle like insanely like you were, you know, like a fucking surgeon or something. But that is the ultimate way to control sprites that are in games. Like you, will, you will get really fucking good if you're actually talented in the game. So uh, there is certainly potential there. I don't know whether it'll happen and spoiler, I won't be at the event. So anyway... Any final thoughts on that? Oh, that's pretty good. Let's move on. Right. I've got one that might sound like an unusually sort of simple good point from Thor and not any complaints. I actually enjoyed, believe it or not, the fact that Gamers 8 was just a single limb tournament that you just went to. You started in the quarters, you went to the semis. Went to the like, I thought it was actually just like a really refreshing format. Like, think about how many events we've done where it's like there's a billion games or you start in like a Swiss system. and go, This was like old school esports. This is like going to like one of the lands back in the day. Dijau, where you go and you try and just qualify and you only care about coming first or get top four or getting the qualifier spot. But this was actually just a really easy to follow tournament. Everyone knew at the beginning who's playing who you can sort of check oh, would be cool if this team makes it there and actually it just made it it was just very simple to enjoy couch I actually think even though it wouldn't be my favourite format I don't want to have like 20 tournaments in the year and have them all have only these other four let's just do the odd one that's a fun one like this I also think by the way if you're going to be not like a massive TO you're just doing a one-off tournament this is the perfect type of format to do let people just arrive play their games if they lose they can leave if they, if they win they progress and we get it all done in a few days it was actually kind of like old school CS for me i liked it did you enjoy it as a player I, I mean it was okay i i didn't really like this format because i mean it would have been all, tilted if you got out first round i get it like if you fly I, all the way to saudi yeah, arabia yeah, you have to go over we, we didn't we, we just didn't like it because they didn't let us to re, uh, like rebook the tickets they said if you want to go back you need to buy the tickets we are not gonna rebook anything for you so all right that, that, that's why most of the teams didn't like this format okay because mostly oh like your camera's moved up teams. by the way your camera's gone mad okay. pull it down a bit okay. there you go okay. there you go like mostly all of our like even our team but all of the teams which didn't go through the first match 
they had to stay the whole ah, week. I see, uh, right. So everyone was melting there just in the front right. of pool. So. Well, maybe just do this format, but like an event in Germany or something, you know, where we can all just get a train or something. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I like this. I mean, it's like 50-50 for me. I didn't like it. And also I like it because there is no slow start and everyone is like really focused from the first round. Yes. Because every, everything is super important. Like if pistol round, force round, eco, like everyone was super focused. And I think this event really helped our team to to get stronger mentally. Maybe not in the final, but uh, yeah, our team is after this event, we we got some good points. Like the thing he just said there, Maui, I actually think is a mad underrated aspect. Like that whole thing of like, like you have, you can't have a slow start. That is good and bad. It's not just good or bad. Like the cool thing to me is like, I actually do think in other tournaments, because we've built in all these extra lives, that's half of what fucks up top teams. Because you think like, ah, I can fuck around till the very end, basically. And then if I get it together, and as we all know from like round robins and stuff, you can't always sometimes, you know, the point differential or you have to hope this team wins a game while you're playing or something. So like, in a way, this was just a heat check tournament. Like if you were hot now, you can win the tournament. If you're not, you, you're going to be done immediately. I, for yeah. one, just really like single elimination tournaments just because of how cutthroat they are. I wouldn't want this to be the standard at all, and I am definitely okay for once it hits a playoffs for it to become single limb, but for a whole tournament, uh, it's nice. It's really nice once a year, uh, maybe twice a year. I actually was going to bring up the idea that you probably would want the single limb tournaments to be in Central Europe still or Western Europe just yes. because you don't want everybody to feel like oh, I have to go so far for the single tournament. Yeah. And then I think Valorant for example, I wouldn't put like I am Sydney with this format per hour. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that would be exactly, that would yeah. just be really bad for for a lot of people other than yes. the Australians. I, Australians might make a miracle run there, actually. But I think like Valorant did it where they had their single limb tournament in Brazil. And I was kind of just thinking, wow, that's oh, is that mad. is a long yeah. ways to go for a lot of these players just to go all the way back. But uh, I think Abu Dhabi is like, uh, it's I, I mean not Abu Dhabi, um, Saudi Arabia uh, is a little bit far. So I I don't know. I mean like I, I'll say this. I'll say this for for enjoyment's sake. I enjoyed it. I enjoy, I like seeing teams have to fight for their life from the very get go, and for teams to actually get punished when they have slow starts. And because I think FaZe are one of the teams that I'm like, oh dude, another slow start. Oh how expected. And then they just get bounced, and then you don't get that other chance. And that's to me, that's justice. That's like that's if that's the tournament's format, then it's cool to see that they're actually finally punished instead of them making this ridiculous lower bracket run where every game is three maps and it leads to some tense moments for sure. But I also think that it, it's almost like they're just always surviving by the skin of their teeth. But this time they just got put to bed in the first round by VP. Yeah, at least it was best of three in every single match because imagine if you travel the whole like fucking day and then you play one best of one. So at least it was good. I mean, I would like to play maybe one more tournament like this to see how it goes. But most of the teams, they will just go for the also lower bracket events. So, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Right, let's go on then. Let's move. Dicha, what is your bad point? Oh, we are moving to Polish CS right now. I mean, I want to talk about nine. Because outside of them and few Polish players like me, Shuhe and other players, we don't have anything. And 
I think we have a lot of good players, but we just have no idea how to build the teams because some of the players, they don't like each other or they are just playing for money. And I can straight say that most yep. of them, they are just staying in like tier two organizations. They are just farming these online shit events. They are not even winning them, but they are just getting the paychecks. It's not even much, but they are still doing it. Um, there, there was this time when I forget which, I think it was people like, like, okay, or the teams were AGO, I want to say Anonimo, and uh, there might have been one more. Back where then there remember... was a lot, but right oh. now there is nothing. But back then it was Ago, Anonimo, there was also Kingwin, but it was like, yeah. yeah, there was also Visla, but then they switched to nine but i have no idea what was before that but yeah there was a lot of lineups but the problem is people are not sticking together they are yes. changing like it's two months they don't see the results they for example they didn't qualify for a fucking major and they are like ah we need to switch something it's not working but how can like how do you want to be consistent if you are changing one two three players every single month it's never gonna work yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to remark on, the fact that I remember in that time there was like like so many, like AG, like those few teams I just mentioned, it was like I would watch them one tournament and then it was almost just like a month later I'd catch them again on a tier two tournament and I'd be like, I, I thought I like I just felt like I couldn't keep up. I, I thought I actually had like short term memory loss or something because I was just seeing them and then seeing their names on other teams and I was just like, surely... Sparrow played for this guy, like on this team or whatever. Like I don't know. I just I'm just throwing a name out there. I don't know if he was yeah. the one swapping all the time, but like I thought he was playing with them, and then it was it just became in a weird way hard to keep up because I was just never really sure which Polish team in the tier two space was the best. It's cool to see that nine has has risen above and that they've found consistency. I hope that they get over what I think is land nerves where it just feels like what I watch them do online versus what they do on land is completely different. And I We've got a point coming for that later, but it's all good. It's all good. Oh just okay. don't go too okay, hard gonna... on that one. If we're going to talk about that later, we'll talk yeah, about that later. Good. But yeah, I think I think I think he already really highlighted the main point, which is that even I was recognizing casually watching these tier two Polish teams just whenever I see them on and just turning a stream on randomly that I'd be I would be confused because I just felt like this is just roster mania every other month. Yeah, well, I've got a few points on this one. Like, first of all, I think he did, he did a really key thing there for people who aren't from the Polish scene by explaining that there is a type of player that's been around for a while, but they just play for salary now. Because that's actually a really misunderstood part about Counter-Strike in like both Central Europe and especially, I mean, now maybe not so much because of the war thing, but Eastern Europe, it was the case especially. Like I've known players who told me, mate, even if I actually didn't care at all about CSGO, I wouldn't quit if, as long as someone offered me a gig because like... I spent my whole life playing CS. Like, I don't have, like, a career waiting for me. And so why would I want to go and basically, like, either for reals work in an office or, like, a supermarket when I could do this job and make... If people don't know, I don't know what the current, like, average man's wage is, but I'm going to guess if you make, like, a 1,000 euros a month playing video games, you're probably still making a pretty good living, right, Dika? Yeah. 
It should yeah. be, yeah, it's going to be way better than like the average 22-year-old guy who has, you know, no big school qualifications and no careers. That's actually a good job to have. But the problem is, though, if you just play it like it is your job, I know when you say that, it sounds like it'd be great. Like, oh, it's going to be really professional. No, but you, what makes people great at games is the passion, is to, is to play, to have a dream and to, and to grind in a certain way and to look at the example of someone and imagine. It's not to go like, right, oh, um, oh it's 9 a.m., right, uh, start the scrims, yeah, playing them. Oh, I got 10 kills. Yeah, whatever. Got 15. Oh, nice one. Got 20. Yep. Yeah. Oh, 25. All right. Clock off for the day. 5 p.m. See you guys. See you tomorrow. Like, that can't... That, you're never going to be a good team doing that. Like, that's that's too cynical. So, unfortunately, there are actually even some good names and some veteran names who do play like that, unfortunately. And some of them might tell you, like, oh, if I got the chance to start a big team, you know, I'd try it. It's like, you're not going to get it though, mate, because you've been around too many years now and people know you're cynically playing like this as just a mercenary for hire. So, unfortunately, that's not the sort of person that someone buys into. You want to... Even if you're a team, you're buying into a dream of, you know, this player could transform our squad and become even better than they are. And then the other thing is, it, one thing I hate is when people take regions that have a decent amount of players. Like, Poland always has loads of people playing the game, like, actively and playing matchmaking and tier three and four and five. It's, like, it's not that there aren't good players, but I thought the thing you said at the beginning, let's talk about that a bit, about the fact that, like, no one really knows what to do with the players. That's the key thing to me, Diha, because there's clearly enough actually good players. Like, if I, like, even if you look at some of the players who aren't in the Polish scene of other years, like, obviously, MHL right now was left to scene technique. This guy's clearly got the fucking skills. You go watch his it's talent's clearly there. If everyone remembers Miku, who was in all those teams the last few years, there's a reason why he kept getting picked up in international squads. He's a good player. You think obviously of Dikai himself, who plays in the squad right now in Ents. You have other players. I mean, some of them are in the Polish team, but there's clearly talent there. Rallon was over in into the breach. Like there's there's veterans, there's younger players, there's all types of players. The one thing I do notice though that is missing, that's what I want to ask you, is this. A lot of good teams are built by the IGL, and that is the one thing I feel like is missing, right? Is there actually are there actually good Polish IGLs? That's <laughs> the one I wonder about. Like me for this answer, but I don't <laughs> think so. That's the problem because all of the teams, like when when we are building the team, we don't really have in-game leaders, and some random people they are saying like, yeah, I I can try to be in-game leader, but then right. after like two or three weeks, they are like. Yes. It's not for me anymore. Like, I don't have good starts doing it. I don't like it anymore. And uh, this is where the problems begin because I think when you are young and you want to show yourself, you will play for stats. And that's, that's how it works, at least in the young teams. They are not really playing to win. They are not playing to achieve anything. They are just playing for, for stats. And also, they want to win money instantly. And also... Uh, when there is like a small event and they are winning it, for example, they are instantly asking about more salary. They are instantly oh, right. asking, like, we, we are looking for Orc, for example. They are pracking for two weeks. This is just the example. I don't yeah, mean yeah. anyone. No, no. But people people are just pracking for two or like three weeks and they are instantly writing on Twitter, we are looking for organization. If someone is blah, 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 you can contact us. I'm like, why are you looking for Orc if you are playing for two weeks together? Like, you don't even know each other. You will probably leave this mix in about fucking two weeks. Like, people, like, don't know what to do. Yes. They are instantly looking for money. They are instantly looking to to just be saved, to, 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 to just have a salary and 
then maybe we will do something more. But the first thing which is coming to mind for all of these teams from my POV is that they want to be safe, they want to have money. And then let's see what we will do. Exactly. Oh, and two other things to say. One, I could, you know, have thrown in the name Mantu there, but he's the one who put that UK flag on, mate. When he put that UK flag on, we're claiming him. We 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 haven't got enough good players right now. We listen. You can have Smoothie if you want. You can if you can get his papers. We'll trade you Mantu for Smoothie or whatever. And then the other thing I was going to throw in there is I actually thought the other key point you made is that one, which is that people sort of get too egotistical, and then if they have any problems, they just kick someone out immediately. The reason why that's a killer to me is because. People never understood this. The incredible thing about the legendary Virtus Pro lineup wasn't that, like, a lot of fans never got this dude. They really thought, oh, they don't change players because there's just no good players there. No, you idiot. They didn't change players because they know the second you change players, like all of like our strength of the experience, it all starts to degrade. And now we've got to bring this new guy in and we've got to get him up to speed and we've got to have the similar pro. And so maybe he brings like, let's say, 10% more aim than, I don't know, Taz or something. He doesn't bring all the years of experience Taz has, though, and how to deal with this guy and what to do with that. So I think that is actually the lesson of, this, of the Polish scene that was never learned is like, your heroes won all those years. Yeah, they had the hard times by going through all the tough times together and learning and figuring out a new role and how can I adapt to... Like, basically, one of the cleverest things they did was... Basically, every time they changed IGL, that probably should have been a kick. But instead of a kick, it was more like, right, maybe you can be IGL and then I can be the lurker or something, you know, and they would find a way to make it work. And I always thought, like, that, that was actually very admirable because, yes, they had their downtimes, but... Has there, was there ever a team in the history of the game? The answer is no. I was there the whole time. There was never a team came back to the top as many times as that squad did. That five-man lineup, for real, went all the way down and then came all the way back. I'm going to say like five times in like seven years. It was crazy. Like That's the lesson if you're a young player like that. It's like, who cares about that you lost his one land tomorrow? If you stick together, maybe in three months, you're like twice as good as a squad and now you actually get the org that Dika's talking about and now you suddenly are, people see the value of your play because by sticking together, you like enhance each other's ability to play and you figure out how to make the best out of his play and he figures out the best way to help you play and all of a sudden you all look twice as good as you maybe are. Whereas if you just play this way where every two lands you swap a player, now it's almost like when people really do believe like HLTV starts telling you how good a player is. It's like... What team is he? Like, has he even been in the team long? Is he playing his spots? Is he on the right maps? Like, there's so many variables in Counter-Strike. To me, the first thing you've always got to do is build, like, a team core identity. That's why we even use that term core. Core shouldn't just be the three players that used to be there. It's who makes up the squad. Like, what is the identity of this team? Like, in the in the end squad, for example, they, people would say the core's like all the stuff. Like, the core would start with Snappy, for fuck's sake. Obviously, wouldn't it? Like, the joke is, if anything, it's people like nerds that integrate themselves into the team still. Like, someone like Snappy's the foundation of this team so anyway that's why i say one i think they missed the lesson of vp and then two that's why i asked that question the only thing i have never seen in the polish scene is the igls that's the one thing i feel like is missing in that regard and so it's actually sad because i do think there are like especially for riflers mate there are so many good riflers that have come out of the polish scene over the years people if you just watch the pov on like ago and all those these guys were really good mate it's no wonder when you put them in those wsg tournaments and it was like essentially just like fucking who cares like no one gave a shit the amount of times Polish teams have gone deep in that is bonkers, mate. Loads of them have got the money. Loads of them have got the bag. Right. Yeah. But also, I think the next thing we are missing, we are missing coaches. Like, we don't have okay. any... We might have few good ones which know what to do, but we don't have that much people 
which can trust them. Like okay. players, players are not open enough to go out of the comfort zone to work with them, to just like accept what they need to do for the team. Trust me, I was like this in the Polish team. Like when I started playing, I didn't want to go out of my comfort zone because I didn't feel good in the game. But I think I did it a bit in Sprout and then I did it more even in this team. And I see that we are winning matches, we are winning events. So I think that's the key. Well, all I'm going to say is Taz technically recently did retire. So if he just gets that big quagmire head, pops in, he could he could get something done. Come on, mate. Get it together. Just get that fucking... Start coaching people. Start teaching them the wisdom. Right. And also, just you'll get their attention when you drive up in that Mercedes or whatever it is. I want you to All right, boys. <laughs> <laughs> the coach has arrived. <laughs> it's also just disappointing when people don't continue the lineage of teaching the next generation. Oh, sad, because there's just so much knowledge that is never, I mean, and it's not like these people are doing something else that's helping pass that information on. Like they're not making content. They're not writing it down or anything like that. It's just in their head. So yeah, coaching though is like the natural fit. Um, I could get to my bad. Yeah, point, let's though. do it. Yeah. So, so mine is just about an individual player and just how he's been trending lately. And that player is Caserato. Earlier in the year, we, I, at least I was saying that it was pretty obvious that he was a top three rifler. It would have, like, no question about it. He was a top five rifler. But the last month has just been kind of a slew of unfortunate events for, for Caserato. He, uh, I mean, I don't know how much you can always put stock into all these things, but I think, like, Brazilian Twitter does get some things right here, which is that they, they did say that his father passed away so he had a pretty poor performance at the cologne play-in okay. which led to him not doing very well okay, there like he had a he had a sub 1.0 rating and then also he had i think it was food poisoning or he was just he had to be hospitalized okay. recently for some online pinnacle cup and so gary had to play and if you actually like in terms of watching Caserato lately, it was very concerning at Cologne. But having learned, like basically, what what I saw when I was watching Furia then was that oh, he's just getting caught off guard. Uh, it wasn't just mechanics, really. It was actually it seemed to me like awareness, and I I think that it's kind of a twofold problem here. Where yes, there were these unfortunate turns that that occurred in his life with what I just mentioned, but also I think that the new system for Furia <laughs> is one where it seems like Caserato hasn't quite found his footing yet either since Fallen has been integrated. And that's really not, that's not great for the future because this is really, I think a lot of people wanted to see what Caserato, Yuri could have done under a new in-game leader, but it just feels like the system hasn't, it, it's either, it's kind of one or the other because it's hard to sometimes tell if the system's failing them when, people like Caserato are underperforming to such a great degree as he has been. And on the numbers side of things, it's very, very shocking where for the entire year up to last month, he had a 1.23 rating. If you only look at the last month as of the time of this recording, 1.06 rating. So it's like it, it goes from being one of the best riflers in the world, hands down, to being what many people would consider like the most average rifler on a team. Like he would probably be the fourth best player on a top 10 team with those kinds of numbers. So that's 
that's where I'm a little bit worried for him because sometimes it just takes a couple of hiccups like that, and then you start to see players just trend trend downwards, and then they never really recapture the the moments that we saw from them for the past. And so I just kind of like I just put this in the bad because it's it's like it is just a month of bad play from Caserato, but I've seen less tick down a player take down a player even quicker than this okay yeah but also they have fallen now but i think he's not really full in game either also because they said something like this in i'm not sure if before dallas or before cologne that they are still trying to find the like the system or okay like and it's still like fallen <clears throat> and someone else like 50 50 they are doing the in-game leader role so I'm not really sure how does like how is it gonna work for them because as you can see right now it's not working. Yes. Like they are, they are not really playing that good. But before they did the changes, you could see that like it was super hard to play versus Caserato, and right now he's a bit struggling. But I think it's also because of the team, like they are not really in the best form. I would say. They are still struggling and they are still trying to find the the best system for the team. So if they will at least try to fix this, trust me, he will go back to the old form and he will be still one of the best. But right now it's super hard when nothing is working in the team. They they are changing also a lot of players. Like they did two, yes. like they, they added Cello and Fallen. And before uh, these changes, they also sw switched something. So trust me it's not it's not that easy yeah if people what he mentioned at the end there is quite key if people remember the really weird thing they did at the end of the last lineup was they went to that like really slow like fucking yeah, yeah. almost like cloud nine style of play like what like they so they totally overhaul their whole way of play then they changed two players one is the igl and as he says it's implied that like it's still art and fall and I think somehow mix up who does what and that got so the problem with this is like one it doesn't sound they fully figured out what the system themselves is and then two you're adding a lot of variables here like you're changing a lot of factors here I always say to people people underestimate how much one player I mean look at Ence look how much one player change can do you're doing two player changes and then also sort of like a role change at the same time for a different player and then you're adding all the real life stuff like you can see how it can all go to shit like this the saddest part about it is though when you see those moves on paper like people might know i was fairly positive about the fallen edition because what you hope is it's a bit like the cloud nine super team one you hope right well i can take the star players and just keep them like static like they're just going to be really good still and then you know work with these newer players and then we figure out how to make the team better right and the problem is that initial assumption of like the star players will just be identically as good sometimes that's not always the case as we've seen in this scenario and spoiler you actually, what this actually shows me now, by the way, is how much Keserato did carry this, the old fucking Furia lineup, mate. Because when he doesn't just every event, Maui, put a 1.2 rating on the board as Rifler, they aren't, it's not even that they're not as good. They're nothing, mate. They're just a last place team in these tournaments. Like, they can lose to yeah. absolutely everyone. They can lose to the new Nart. Every squad who is top 15 or 20 could beat this team in the current form they're in. Now, I will say on the Keserato one specifically, obviously, yes, with the, with the like, extenuating circumstances in, in real life 
you do just assume that won't be like the end of it all and he'll he'll find his way back in the form and he'll get over whatever's happening to him and he'll get but some of that might also be gameplay related I do think it's really tragic though because I I actually thought at the beginning of the year like his team didn't really go deep enough to make this true but I thought he was actually a true contender for just the best rifle it was like him Axile and maybe Rops like it was just those three basically were like deciding amongst themselves tournament to tournament like who is actually the most cracked out rifle and He's just one of the players, I always say this, where I just think he has one of the best eye tests in the entire world. You watch his POV, especially when he's on CT side. He is just preternaturally good at taking the duels he takes. Like, it's unbelievable. When, you've played against him, Dihau. What's it actually like to play against Kesarato when he's on CT? Uh, trust me, it was super hard to play against him. Because it doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter what you flashed, like which utility you used, he was always able to kill at least two. <laughs> and when you are city, if you can kill always, like if you can do the trade one for two, you will always take it. And yes. he was taking at least two always. Like yes. doesn't matter which spot, what is the situation, he was always taking two. And then when you are rewatching the demo, you are like, he shouldn't be able to do this, but he is doing <laughs> it just because he's super good. Yes. Uh, and I've also, I'll just say, I've also never heard anything, quite frankly, in terms of rumours that he's like some toxic player. So when I look at it, I also think, think how many of the Brazilian talents had, like, if people don't know, it wasn't just KNG, people like Phelps had like an attitude and a bit of a weird angle. Essentially, this guy, already talent-wise, like, I've, in my opinion, it's him and Fur, like, the most talented Brazilian players I think I've ever seen in CSGO. Like, they're just absurdly good. But also, he does seem like when there's not this real-life stuff going on, you can build your team around him as well. Like, he's not a guy who's on some massive ego trip. He seems like a pretty chill guy, actually. I, yeah, I, remember... I have never heard anything of him like being toxic or anything. So he hasn't even flamed me for fuck's sake. And you know, I go hard as a motherfucker, so it's all good. <laughs> it's time though, we'll give him time on that one. You gotta always give people time. Come on, Maui, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I remember there was this match that um I wanted to see if it was against you guys. No, it was it, it wasn't. But basically when Caserato was playing on the A site of uh Anubis, they would like Furia would play this style that was way more like focused on mid with art over there and yet they would kind of just leave Caserato by himself on a just kind of behind the the little donut or the little default thing pillar on site and that's exactly like what what Dihaw's saying where he would just kind of get two for no reason like he was full exec on so many times and he would just get two kills and it was like <laughs> like there's these execs are just destroying every other be like defender on this bomb site from every other team, and yet Caserato is still just basically willing Furia into CT side rounds just because he was so individually skilled, and that's why it's really disappointing to see that he's having this sort of drop off. And by the way, I'll just throw this out there: I actually do say from from the show itself, like obviously get well soon to Caserato. I hope everything's okay because I do think the other thing that is brutal about esports is especially CSGO unless something happens during the player break you don't get time off in CSGO like unless you unless it's so bad you go and tell the org look I literally can't play the tournaments you have to you have to just go to the event and even if you're sad you're upset you're tired whatever it may be just got over an illness it doesn't matter in CSGO you have to play like it's actually one of the hardest things about our circuit so props to him for still playing but I, I'll give him essentially for me there's an asterisk Maui. I'll give him like maybe like two more months as long as he after that point in time he gets his game back no problem but it's certainly it's certainly a worrying it's a concerning trend let's put it that way we'll keep our eye on that one right here's my bad point this is one that actually who knows maybe Dicha won't agree with me on this one because if you know anything about his career his first big 
final came as a result of this, which is I don't like, Dija, that for the playoffs of ESL Pro League, it's not like a proper stadium vibe. It's still just a tournament area. Like, you remember when you were in that final against FaZe? On paper, we're supposed to go like, holy shit, they're playing FaZe for like a Grand Slam notch. And, you know, like, but if you actually look at the match, it's just in like a bloody back room somewhere. It's like, it's, you know, it's not like it's not like being in like Cologne and like the, you know, the fucking walk-in and you see your giant screens and people banging drums. Like, that atmosphere is what I want for like big matches in Counter-Strike. I want it to be where like, you know, where if someone gets scared, by the way, like maybe some maybe a newer player like nerds gets nervous. I want that to happen. I want it to be where you have to really come out and it's like gladiator. You're in the Coliseum, you know. Yeah. The problem is we're going back to Pro League, which is a perfectly fine tournament, but they've just sort of accepted now that it's just in Malta with like 15 people and, and eight of them are people's girlfriends is the crowd. Like that, even though <laughs> look, it's cool to make the final, but it's a bit whack. It doesn't have a proper vibe, right? Like, sure, we want like a we want like proper stakes we want some pressure i want some pressure for these matches guys yeah i mean even though it's pro league it might need to be changed to like arena or something because i feel like when you are playing something called pro league you will play in the arena or you will play with some crowd but it's like full studio event which is maybe okay for the players which never really played in front of the crowd or something. But when you are, for example, face, you would like to play yes. finals in front of some crowd. Yes. Of course, because you are the big guy, you are always playing in front of crowd and you want to play in front of crowd, especially in the final. But for example, when we played them, we didn't really think like it's the final because you see 15 people in front of you, which are from the crew, not from the <laughs> exactly, crowd or anything. Yes. Yeah. So you are like, guys, we are playing final, but it's not really final, I would say. So, like, from my point of view, when we played Cologne versus V2, like, I was full shaking when I was going out oh, on the sure, stage. Yeah. Because I never played in front of more than 5k people or 8k people. So, when you are going in front of 20k, and everyone is doing these weird sounds that you can feel the stage yeah, shaking. Yeah, all that shit yeah i'm like okay yeah i was never really getting nervous but right now i am and trust me first two or three rounds in the game i couldn't focus on myself because yes. i was just looking at the crowd i was like fuck this needs to stop and i need to focus on the game but it yes. was like two or three rounds maybe but i said it to my team guys i'm not able to play first few rounds because i just cannot focus it's too much for me like, yes. but then after a few rounds, I was like, okay, it's gonna, it's going away, it's better. But for example, in the final, I didn't feel anything, even though we lost, it was a really hard match <laughs> for us, at least. It was super nice to play in front of this crowd because I already like knew this feeling from days before. Like we played semi-final, and uh, it was it was it was easier for us like the, trust me the first semi-final versus vitality i think it was harder than g2 because we didn't really play on the stage yet yeah it's it, it is we a weird shift overall for pro league to just be purely studio now i don't know if there's any arenas in in malta that they could have decided to host it in instead of the i don't think so i think they even yeah. tried to fix some crowd but it's still like fucking 50 people what can you do 
Yeah. There were new the problem is, Malta is one of those like really sort of sleepy places if people don't know. It's mega yeah. chill. It's all people it just is. having coffees at four in the PM on the veranda and something, yeah. you know. It's, it's yeah, not really the sort of hyper crowd environment you'd want, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> when you are a super experienced player, you will never like you will never watch these guys like even if there is 50 people 10 people if you are super experienced you don't care about that no no and when you are playing versus like these teams which qualified for example for pro league now the lower tier teams they will get shaky even if there is fucking 20 people if there is 50 sure. people they will get shaky just because these people are screaming for example if they can see them they will they will shake a bit but this Titans players, for example, Rain, they, they don't give a fuck if they are playing in the fucking Lanxess Arena or if they are playing studio. They, they just don't care. They are playing, they already played too much of this shit. Yes. <laughs> I will say, though, as a random aside, because obviously still quite new to it, that thing of like where the initial feeling when you first go out for like the, the you know, the walkout and when you play the first rounds, I have heard, though, that never goes away, by the way, which is a good thing. Because, by the way, this will blow your mind, maybe. That happens to commentators, you know. You know, a yeah. talent before like, the fall of a major have the same thing. Like the second before, I've seen looked over at the desk and seen people's knees just shake like that under the whole time. But I always tell people that's like, it's why there's that cliche of like electricity in the air. It's like, that's what it's like though. It's like, essentially there's an atmosphere in the air of like something can happen, right? Now, if you, ha if you have a negative mindset, like you knew, you're going to think, oh, but I could choke. Like, yeah, but you could also have the most epic game ever, couldn't you? You could have the most amazing, like think about the Sun Pius semifinal you're talking about here. Like, dude, I'll bet he was fucking vibing like nothing else. It looked like he was having the game of his fucking life. He's playing to the crowd, hitting all the big shots. Like that's, that's like the other side of it. Like you can have the choke side, but you can also have the side where it makes you just go fucking supernova. And that wouldn't happen also, by the way, the same way the guy wouldn't choke with no crowd. I doubt some pious would have the same reaction if there's just like, yeah, one guy in the crowd with an ESL hard, like when he does the three kills, he, he needs the reaction too. So I think that's that's one of the best things about esports. If people don't know, it's why, even though they don't explain it properly, when when you see all the talent that are just doing all those pitches, like, oh my God, it's a life-changing experience seeing this stage. I know I just mock them, like, we well, you grow the fuck up? But I get what they mean. They mean like that. They mean like, basically what they mean is it's the best It's the best shit in esports. It's like, it doesn't feel like real Counter-Strike till you get to the arena, till you get to the walkouts. Till you get to the big match and people are having like perform at the highest level, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can say for certain that even on the desk when we were adjacent to the arena or like, you know, streamed out to it or anything like that, for the quarterfinals day, I always find myself getting the most nervous because I'm like, oh, yeah, like, like you said, the first time you feel it every time at every big event, that's when you're the most nervous because you're like, oh, right. That's why we're all here to, to entertain these thousands of people that are now joining us to, to watch this singular game. And like, but but I, I find that actually, and obviously for players, this will be a little bit different. I found that like semifinals and grand finals, I actually end up being much less nervous for events because it's like once you get that one rep in for any arena in the quarterfinals, then you actually kind of now feel feel it already. Sure, the sure it gets a little bit louder on the semifinals and grand finals day, but I actually think that uh, just the one should be enough, and then like usually your nerves can settle just a little bit. Yeah, but when you are a team like us and you qualified for like arena, I would say you don't want to go in the first match, and maybe that's why also people are shaking sometimes, or right. why are we nervous? Like, when you qualify yeah. for something big, you want to play at least one match there. You don't want to go out after the first match. Sure. Yeah, the difference is that you don't know if you're coming back on the semifinals day. I do know that I'm going to be working the next day. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah.
Right. Uh, what is your ugly point about Diha? About yeah, oh, go one on. second. You, also, also about Suna. I think when he's playing in front of crowd, he's even better. Like you cannot compare Suna from group stage, for example, yes. when we are in studio, to Suna who is playing in front of stage. Trust me, I have never seen someone like him. Maybe nerds is also because they are both psychos. Whenever they are playing in front of crowd, they are screaming, they are doing everything. But Suna, for me right now, he's like top five. But when he's playing in front of crowd, he might even go to like top three. Yes. Because he is just like, it's helping him to play in front of the crowd. Whenever they are seeing him killing, they are reacting. And then he is like super pumped because of this. He's super hyped. It's helping him more than any other guys. Yes. I actually think that's also, if people don't get it, that's a really underrated quality. Usually people are worse under pressure like that. That's why I say he just is a big game player. But it's way, Maui, without going into the exact specifics, that story that we heard a while back, maybe in the last lineup, let's say, about some pies where maybe he had like an ego moment or whatever. Here's the thing though, mate. Looking back in hindsight now, though, he looks pretty justified. Like, I, he, he clearly is capable of some pretty crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Well, it was natural. I think uh, we just we just had heard some stuff about, you know, there was some turmoil in the Valde lineup with Ensa just a little bit. But like it's uh, I think now, like with how things have worked out, there's reason to just believe in himself. It, 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 there's like the difference between ego and believing in yourself. And I think Sun Pius actually probably maybe at before probably like leaned into the ego just a bit but now it's like just believing in himself and now all of us have to believe in him because he can keep keep he, he keeps doing it i don't think he has a big ego or anything okay. like this we didn't cool. have a single problem with him not being able to like reach any like point with the team the only problem he had moving from movie star to us he was trying to help us so much that he was struggling himself to find his own game like okay. we said we said to him, Suna, you need to focus on yourself. And if you want to help someone, if he, like if someone is asking for help, then you can move. But if someone is not asking for it, just don't do it. Because he was always like, ah, I can smoke here, I can molly here, maybe right. we will do this. And we are like, Suna, you are just over moving. Like, you are, you are not able to focus on yourself. And trust me, he changed it a lot. Like, you can mm -hmm. see it with his numbers like whenever he wants to do something he has the confidence to do it but he he has this point now where he knows that he is not gonna help if it's not needed and he was doing it from the start like he was always like ah, i need to help these guys because like maybe he didn't trust us at the start or something like this maybe when you are a new player you are coming to the team like you want to show your best for example but we just say to him, you need to chill and you need to focus on your role. Like you are the upper and you need to focus on yourself. Like we need upper on the map. We don't need the support guy who is throwing us smoke, molly, blah, blah, blah. We need upper. And he understood it, I think. Right. Let's cool. move on then. What is your ugly point, Vika? <sighs> My point is, again, nine. I think they are a really good team and they are always qualifying for events from closed and even from open. But then they are not able to do any playoff run. Like they are not able to win more than two matches in the in the events. So I I don't have anything else except this one. But yeah. I think it's a good point to talk because yeah. 
it's really hard for me because I know them. They are all close friends to me. And it's hard for me to watch them or even to play versus them. Trust me, I was trying my best to dodge this Cologne uh, matchup where we played them in the opening match because I'm always talking with Oleg, like Hades. I'm always talking with Navrot, the coach. I'm always talking with Kay and uh, like also the manager of uh, Nine. And I'm always like cheering. Like, I'm always cheering for them. I always want to do. I always want them to do their best. But it's like. It's super hard to see that they are not like they are struggling a lot. It's super hard for me to watch that they are struggling and they, they have no idea what to do. Even when they know what they need to do, they are still struggling. Like they cannot really find this point where they have a balance. Yeah, yeah. I, I've uh, I've brought up nine before because I, I was one I think I was probably the broadcast talent that tried selling people on nine super hard at the Paris major. I was like, I was like, this team is going to honestly like ruin some people's days. And I think they went Oh three. <laughs> and, uh, and that, that was, was not a beer by the way. Okay. Good for Good for you. <laughs> uh, the, the, um, the thing with, with nine, if I want to, I'll, I'll go like big picture first and I'll like go down, down the list of things with yeah. me. Uh, the first is that I, would like to know your what if you have any insight on this D Hop, but I it almost does feel like Nara might be calming in the online matches with them because they just there's just so much more active. The reason I say it is because they run way more plays in the mid round. They have so many more ideas. It feels like they're more well drilled when they're playing online, and that usually to me makes me think like, oh, the coach is probably talking. Or, or, they're, or they or they could just be way less nervous, but I also usually think like, oh, is, is Narot giving them instructions of what they need to do? So do you have any insight on that? I think Navrot is not really trying to speak a lot online because he knows okay. that if he will speak a lot now, they will not be able to find themselves online because he cannot do anything. And I think it's really like we are, I played with them before in my like before I even joined Kingwin, like the first big Polish team, I played with them. I played with uh, Hades, I played with K, I played with MHL, I played with almost all of them before we started playing. So I think we are all onlineers, I would say. <laughs> it's easier for us to play in the internet because we, like, we played it for a long time. And I think they don't really have that much experience to play on LAN because outside of few Polish LANs, like with Visla or with uh, Aves before, they played like Flashpoint, nothing else. And now they are qualifying for everything. It's also maybe a bit of pressure from the Polish community, I would say, because they're expecting them to win everything. They are expecting them to qualify for everything because we didn't have a Polish team for a long time. And now there is nine and no, no one else. And I think the pressure from the community is maybe killing them a bit uh okay yeah i well i think the pressure is getting to one person most in particular and i i've been what because like i don't think it's a secret that k performs way better online like that's basically the main person where yeah. his his rating his rating this year online is 1.14 on lan 0.97 so I he know, goes because snappy is yeah. also checking these details every single line right yeah yeah, so he so he really falls off a cliff pretty hard. Like Kyle, what's what's interesting is that you look at um, 
like what what Kay is doing online online and he's like the second best player right there with Hades or maybe tied for even the best. And then when he goes to on land, like Goofy's better than him, Kylar's better than him. He's he's or like they're about the same and it's just like you you can't really I don't think you can really win on land if like one of if one of your guys who is known to deliver consistently in your scrims and in your matches online just can't keep it together and some I'd say some people do get over the the hurdle of of switching to land but if it I don't know how many times there he's going to need to to play because if it, I I want 9 to be good. I, I like the style of Counter-Strike that they play when they're winning. I think that they have an exciting way of of going about things and they have a lot of good tricks. They have a lot of good strategies. Uh when you watch them like their demos in depth, it's like they, their nades like always feel like, "Okay, that's a cool way to do something." But when they play on LAN, I just sometimes feel like they play back. It's almost like it's almost like when I watch them online, it's like I'm watching Prime Heroic running all these little strategies, going for all these little different moves across the map, always reading the macro really well. And then when I watch them on LAN, it's like I'm watching FaZe, where FaZe just kind of relax a lot of the time, and they're like, you know, we're just going to kill two when they walk into our bombsite anyway, so we don't need to do anything. And obviously, the skill on 9 isn't as good that they can play back like their ROPs and Rain and Twist. You know, they, they, need, they should be running those active plays so that they can make sure that they're putting pressure on their opponents and dictating their fights. Yeah, but I think for K, important thing is that he needs to stop thinking about playing bad. Because right now, there is even more pressure on him because everyone is speaking about it. Right. Everyone right. is tweeting about it and he's like, okay, if, if, if I will play another shit match, there will be even more. But I think overall, what will help them, they need one good run in the event. And they also need to play for the team like they usually do and they need to like they cannot force anything they cannot do plays for a, for example for k just to make him kill people because it's not gonna work like they need to have a one good event when they will just be a better team because right now they are blocked like they are always coming to the event and there are always some inside jokes that we will go back after one day yes but at some point it will need to change like it it was the same for us like we never did any good like super deep runs but right now we are doing it almost every event but it started from something like first of all it was i think antwerp which helped us it was back in the days with hades also and then there was dallas with snacks there was also prolic with uh, lotan and uh, hades so i think they just need a one good event and I think what will help K also, he needs to start event with like good matches. Even when he's not playing good, he needs to play for a team. Because right now I think maybe he's overthinking that he's playing bad, and that's why he's not really able to play good. Mm. I'm just looking now. Mm, the thing is, they've been a fair few lands this year as well. The other problem I will yeah. say as well is this is why I sort of get the angle of why you think they need like, the one good run is eventually when when everyone knows you're not as good on LAN and especially if like you're going to maybe like go out early, 
all the other teams know that as well. So, like, if you look at some of the teams they've had to play, they've had some, they've had to play, like, fucking G2 was the first round of matchup at Game yeah, yeah. Like, good luck with that one. Like, that firepower's bonkers. They had to play, I mean, they had to fucking beat OG and Team Liquid to get into Cologne, and then they had to just play Ents first round, and then lower bracket Cloud9, admittedly, the one with the standing. But things are still like lineups where if you play against really experienced players, and especially like super good mechanical land players, and they know that you have issues on LAN, they, you know, it's not even a normal match anymore. Like the way they play against you is going to be so cynical. And the way that they, the way they sort of give you a chance to fuck up and make it harder for you. Like essentially, if you had, like he says, one good run where you beat a couple, like let's say you had a run where you beat like heroic and you beat, I don't know, I'll pick like a mid and a mouse, and then you lost to like let's say G two in the semis of the quarters or something. After that one run, now when you play a team like. And they have to actually fear that you might beat them now. Like, this isn't just like, oh, you know, if they get going badly, guys, like, we know they're going to choke and this guy's not going to be... Like, all that stuff goes out the gate and it becomes just a game of Counter-Strike again. Part of the problem, like you're saying, is you get in your own head and your opponents know as well, like, it's all this guy's going to choke or this team is going to show up and... and I mean, I'm sh- actually, you know what, Dika? I'm sure this happened to you guys back in the day. No doubt, if, when you were playing teams like the phases of the world... If it's early on in the game, you might be doing well. But if it's a team that you know is super clutch, like, part of you is thinking, like, oh, at some point they're going to take over and win the game, isn't it? It's always in the back of your mind in a way, right? Until you break through and you yeah. know you're actually better than them. I mean, when you are an underdog, everything is super fine if you are winning at the start. But when the game is close, when it's 14-14, 15-14, when it's overtime, the better team will always win just because of, like, decision-making or that they are not getting stressed in these runs. Because when you are an underdog and you want to win, and you are like 15-14, you will, for example, make plays to win. And the team, which is better, like mental, for example, they will like they will just trust each other. They will they will know that they can win with the tactics, like with the strats, whatever. And if you are underdog, you will try to win always, only by shooting. Like you will try to find a way to just try to kill them. But when you are a better team, I think you can trust like with everything. And when you are underdog, you cannot. Exactly. Right. What okay. about uh, going to your ugly point? Yeah, then, but I yeah. also I also want to talk about one thing. Go on, then. Nine, <laughs> nine, and us. We don't really have easy brackets always. And when you look at heroic, for example, in Gamers Eight, <laughs> they had Falcons, Gamer Legion, and they yeah. almost trolled the game versus yeah. Gamer Legion. And when you look at the Gamer Legion lineup right now, I don't even want to comment that shit. It's pretty wild. Like, how yeah. can a team like Heroic <laughs> almost lose the game versus them? Yes. So, it's not even like Nine is playing that bad, but imagine they could have knocked out G2 in the first match, then second match is Face or VP. It's also not <laughs> easy. And then the third match is Vitality or Navi. So it's not like they are super bad. They are just super unlucky with the brackets. Imagine you switch Heroic and Nine in this bracket. You could see Nine in the final or something like this. So it's just about one event. If they will get a better bracket or when they will play better. Depends on them. Or event. With the fucking roster seeding, and not roster, bracket seeding. Come on, the Maui. So, What's your ugly point? I mine mine is the the 
it's rumored right now, but due to people that are data scraping the what's going on with Valve and the updates to CS2, that they may switch over to MR12, and I just find that ugly. Uh, there's obviously uh, something to be said about the fact that maybe it plays out and we all just like it, but I, I also say off the out, out the rip, like just that there are a couple things that if the econ doesn't change in its current form i would not like mr12 and i would even have an alternative but the first thing is just that pistol rounds obviously have a huge influence on the game and a lot of people consider them to be a bit more random than say the gun rounds i don't think that they're necessarily random given that teams like g2 have shown that you can be very consistent on pistol rounds with a combination of obviously very strong pistol players and some pretty unique strategies at times so i don't necessarily buy that it's like some people some people go as far to say like pistol rounds aren't counter-strike which i just don't i don't agree with that at all and i think it's kind of a non-statement statement uh that just kind of actually calls out how dumb the person is that's saying it. But I will say that uh, when when like it goes to an MR12 and the pistol round more or less decides three of 12 rounds, that's a big difference that it's essentially a quarter of the rounds are decided by one versus a fifth of the rounds. So that really can hurt how the game plays out. And it would actually probably lead to teams like G2 actually just winning more tournaments, which... You know, maybe that's just how Counter-Strike becomes, but I would say that the proposed change I would have instead of doing MR12 is I would actually just want to go back to some of the old times of, of the game because I think it used to be 1 minute 45, the bomb timer was 5 seconds shorter. I would say that you have to adjust then Molotov times and smoke timings for duration because of that, but I would be more willing to accept that the round time would change and shorten for that matter as opposed to playing MR12, which in its current state would just lead to pistol rounds having too strong of an effect on the outcome of a game. I mean, pistols are not really super random, but they are also not super important because you can still lose force. You mm -hmm. can you can still lose to full eco, for example, but the thing is, if they want to switch to Ember 12, they need to switch the economy because I think right now this is the problem. Like, you can win pistol, but if you let someone plant the bomb, you are fucked as city. Because they can buy five galleys or even drop like two AKs and buy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what is the point of winning the round if you are losing in economy? This is the thing they need to think about. Like, if they want to switch the rounds, they need to switch the economy also. Yes. I even think that's the part that's the most misunderstood about the flaw with the current game is that it's specifically CT that it keeps fucking up. Because as you're... Like, in your team, for example, if you win the pistol... And then they, like, it's like one guy survives on your side and you're on CT side. Well, some Pius is going for the AWP. He's not going straight to a fucking M4 after that, even if he had the money for it. So at that point in time, the T's, all of them, if they want, can have a better rifle than some Pius in the next round. Like, there's something wrong with that equation. Like, everyone can see there's something off with that. Like, what you would call, like, the incentive structure is broken at that point in time. So I think that is a problem. And the, to me, the reason why I hate this whole discussion is because I can't tell what discussion people are having, Maui. Like, if it's about, like, what the general game's about, well, then maybe we can have an MR12 if you want that for matchmaking. I mean, the same way when they made, like, the half-as-long mini-game, that is better for randoms. Like, if you're just a player playing, play the one where it's, like, eight rounds a half. It's way better for you, mate. It's way better than getting stuck in a game with people you don't know and playing 30 rounds and going, bloody hell, I'm killing myself here. Like, it's better to just play the fun one. So I can't tell. Do people mean for casuals? Because for casuals, maybe it's a better format. For pro 
scores. I think MR12 is terrible. So I have said, to, to do it, I either need, one, completely pistols have to go because I need as many gun rounds as I can have, or two, I need to change the economy and fix it so essentially there aren't as many issues. Because if all you do is change to MR12, people haven't even thought on some of the knock-on effects. Like, for example, there will be more saves, not less. Because now each round is worth even more. Now we can't do like a fucking... In fact, uh, currently, as much as you might not like it, one of the reasons why people do those like... Not even like a full force, but like a half buy of like a scout and a few pistols. It's because there's so many rounds in a half. We can take a few gambles at that. We can have a few chances and hope that like some pious or Sirison or someone hits a scout headshot and we get back in the game. If this is like an MR12 game and we're already down like 0-5, no one's doing that. Like you're going to have to just do a full save. You have to do like an old school save almost. Like I don't think people realize it, it might fix certain things. Like it will make the game by definition last less time, but it will make certain parts of it worse. Like what the, the real problem with this scenario is this type of balance is the hardest to do because you're not changing one factor it's like the concept of like whack-a-mole like when this one pops up and you whack it down here another thing pops up elsewhere you know what i mean so like you can't even know yet what fixing the fixing this thing does to the other thing and also it's the same thing for me as part of the issue with like bo5 finals you know when i when you know when i absolutely just wrecked everyone because they were using like completely mutually exclusive logic Maui. Like on the one hand, they said best of five finals suck because they last eight hours and they're just too draining. But also they're all three zero. And it's like, just fuck off, will you? Whoever just said that, <laughs> like, if it's useful, you Londoners, just fuck right back off to Canada, mate. We used to run the place. Tell you what, bring, bring one of the Frenchies over. We don't need people like you with your balls or thoughts like that. The fuck are you talking about, you cretin? What three zero was ever eight and a half hours? So in the same scenario, like you're all saying, oh, I want MR12. I'm so sick of all these games that are 30 rounds. I'll tell you what you're going to really hate. All the fucking 12-2 wins. You're going to enjoy those, are you? All the fucking 13-2 wins that people have on Nuke. That's going to be fun. That's going to be garbage. What about I'll be all three where I'm a team that picks Nuke and you pick fucking Overpass? What, what if I just win like 2-0 in like, in like a fucking one and a half hour game? Like, see what I mean? Every time you think you've fixed it, in this scenario, we're talking about something that affects the whole game. So it's not as simple as tweak this one thing here. You have to actually do like a holistic change that fixes it. That's why to me, it all comes back to the economy, mate. If we fix the economy, we already know MR15 is fine. We've had it for decades. In fact, if people don't know, in case someone's a real noob, Counter-Strike was MR12 for like the first four or five years in, in CS 1.6. It began as MR12. We went to MR15 specifically for reasons like Maui said. When we had the old hard reset, it used to suck when someone literally won two pistols and the equals and, and had won half of a game that was six of the 12 rounds to get to championship point. So making it MR15 made it like, right, phew, now we can sort of have pistol tactic but it doesn't decide the whole game. Brilliant. That was considered a positive. So I think people don't know. This is why the real question to bring all the way back is why is Valve doing it? Which is sadly the answer we never get right. Because I don't believe, this is the other thing as well. Valve aren't sitting here like us. They're not like fans. Like, I'm really sick of Virtus Pro taking three hours to play the game. We need to check. That's not why they're making MR12, guys. Like, <laughs> they don't know anything about Virtus Pro and Jim and his <laughs> nightmares, sadism across the fucking esports. <laughs> they're just doing it for some casual reason, I would guess. Or they did like a focus group, you know, and asked some pleb fan, and he was like, oh, I think 12 is better than 15. Or whatever, like, and I'll just throw this in there. Technically, you're all wrong, anyway, isn't it? Remember how you all tried to gaslight me, even though I was there in Counter Strike and you weren't? Where it was like, oh, 
Yes, they, I, I know that they have changed it now to Max Rounds 30. It was always Max Rounds 15. They just changed it on the actual CSGO backend to say it's Max Rounds. So why aren't you all saying Max Rounds 24? Why are you all saying that, eh? Where you at, eh? Where you all at? <laughs> People from HLTV.org, Max Rounds 24, not 12, of course. What are you talking about? So we are, so we are, that's the saddest thing about my content. I have to like update you <laughs> on like petty things I care about that no one else gives a fuck about from years ago. I have to like keep track. Like, and then this guy, yeah, you also said that. Don't worry, I've got like a chart. Look, then Professor from HLTV said this, and then Lawrence said that. <laughs> too, too many beefs going on. But anyway, in short, yeah, I'm not a big fan of MR12, basically. <laughs> There you go. Not a big fan. Not a big fan. All to that. All to that. Are you a fan, Dika? Would you Would you accept it if you had to take it? Not really. I'm fine with like MR15. I don't really like the MR12 because every single round will be even more important than it's right now, as you said. Like no one will do gamble half by, for example, yeah. with Tech Nine. No one will do this because they are like we are losing one round. We are not gonna do it. And right now. You can do it. You can be 0-8, 0-10. You can still win the match. You can still win the map. And it's not going to happen with fucking MR12. Yes. Because I don't see a way where where teams like Virtus Pro they will gamble force buys or anything like this. They will just not do it. I'll give you and one last I reason think. that's mad underrated as well, mate. Here's one, which is one thing about Counter-Strike is it already in the game has a fucking comeback mechanic built into the economy of the game, yeah. which is that the money caps out. So you can't go past 16k anyway. And because CT side has to buy guns every round, pretty much, and kits and utility, etc. Already, you can win loads of CT rounds. Everyone knows this. And when you get into an MR15 game, you lose one round on CT and you're back to a half buy again. That won't happen in MR12 because there's less rounds. Like now, if you get ahead and you get the build up the bank on CT side of Nuke, you might just run the rest of the game out with money. Like that's a nightmare if you're the T side. Like good luck getting back into that game when everyone has like 9k and there's only three rounds left. I just think like if they will switch, we will see even more problems than now. Mm -hmm. like, basically, uh, basically nine yeah. of the main team pushing for MR12 as far as I can tell. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, come on then, the last one. Here's the last point of the show, which I did tease earlier. And look, it is a mad softball. Like, I know anyone's going to disagree with me, but this is just a bummer when I think about it, right? You know, everyone keeps complaining that we keep doing this thing where every event we're like, right, it's the last event ever. Last event ever. <laughs> oh, just major. Oh, okay, right, whatever. Oh, why are we all doing Dallas? Well, yeah, that was just last major. Don't worry, there's Cologne coming though. The last Cologne ever. And everyone's like, oh, last Cologne ever. And it's like, well, oh, still CSGO going on. The real problem is this. It's not even that CS2 hasn't come out. It's not even that. It's that people aren't thinking about this, right? It's not as bad as we're waiting for the next major. The next, what I call the prestige events, the majors plus Cologne and Katowice. Dude, the next one is Katowice next year. In like fucking February of next year. It's August right now. What are we playing for right now? Like, the, the problem is, look, events like Gamers 8 are cool, that. Yeah, events like Dallas, they're all, it's all, they're all good events. But how, where we, it's, it's going to be ridiculous to have that long a period of time without like one really big event to at least like look to on the calendar, you know? Like, you play the events thing and want to get in good shape by then. If you're going to make a roster move, you make it for that event. You try and peak for... It's going to be whack to think that, like, not only are we going to be a different game, but it's like fucking, it's going to be, what, like six months from now before we get, like, the actual big ones. Because remember, if you're the people like the Nikos, they're the ones that matter. If, like, for Dika here, yeah, it really matters to win, like, I am Dallas. If Nico wins I am Dallas, what the fuck would he care? It's like, I'm trying to win the major, bro. I need to win a major. That's my shit. So it's just killing me that, like, 
It just feels, it's not like, we all know the majors coming next year in Copenhagen or whatever it is, but that's just too far away for me. I need something in like two or three months from now, because one thing I've always loved about Counter-Strike is, I'll tell you right now, by the way, everyone in the other games is bitching about this. In League of Legends, if you were in the Astralis team, which was the worst team in the end, in the European League of Legends division, like they went out, Maui, I'm not joking, on something mental, like... 7th of July and their whole year was done in League of Legends because they didn't make it to the finals of the wow. of the European division or Worlds. In Valorant, they just ended their World Championship. Now, that's Valorant for the rest of their year. So so even if you were so if you're like an average team in League of Legends, you're done for the rest of the year. If you're the best team in Valorant, you're done for the rest of the year. Like the best thing about CSGO is the reason why we have to have those player breaks is we're just playing aside from that guys. We're we're not one of those circuit we don't have a season. We just we have the player break and the rest of the time we're all playing lands. It's like there's a small land, medium land, big like and then we all build up to Cologne, Canavizia, the major. These are the ones we're all like waiting to peak and see like who's the best. So the idea because the worst thing about this is this. I know as the historian in history when people in 10 years look back they're just going to skip past this next six months and the reason why that sucks is imagine being like Nico for example like he might be at his like absolute peak level right now but there's nothing to win what about if you're Zewoon you're like the best player in the world you can only win these like medium lands you can't go and actually seize those career shit that you want in your in your cabinet and the reason why that blows is all the guys who won it in the back they never had a time like this with just six months of nothing going on. They were always like into this tournament, into the next one, into like, dude, they used to get like three majors a year. They were just fucking racking up chances to be legendary. So I just feel like it's a bit of a bummer. That's why I put it in the ugly point. It's not even like it's good or bad. It's just ugly. It's just going to make the rest of the scene feel like, like, look, it's like the online era. We'll all hype ourselves and make ourselves believe it's really important. But in like 10 years, we'll look back and go, like, ah, it gives a shit that you won like, ESL Pro League seasons. You know what I mean? Like, no no one's going to care. Everyone wants to win Canavite. Come on. No, but it's like this. Even if you win something now, one week after, if, for example, what happened with Outsiders, they won the major, who cares about it? No one cares about it anymore because everyone knew that it was fluke. Like, there was not a single good team there. But also, it's, it's like this with every single event. We won Dallas. Who cares? No one cares about it anymore. <laughs> All right, it's a bit of a bomb and all, okay. <laughs> you thought that was going somewhere, didn't you, Mariano? No, but for me, like, we won one event. It was, like, our goal to win one event, but it's in the past. Like, we cannot be super happy that we won Dallas and, like, like we need to work more even now. Like, this is just one event. Who cares? We want Indeed. to win more. And there was also chance for Gamers 8. There was chance for Cologne. Like, every one of us, we want more. But if we will be in the past all the time and we will think like, yeah, we want Dallas, we don't need anything anymore, then it's over, I think. By the way, as an aside, you know when they did that graphic where it was like, Ence was in these four finals and everyone was hating on you all because they were all like, oh, who cares about that little event where it was just like the one that fucking ESL Challenger, there's only one good team there. It's like, yeah, the one good team was Virtus Pro though. And spoiler, anytime you ever have to play Virtus Pro in a proper playoff match, that alone is hard work. You're actually earning your money right there. Like, no one's having fun in those games. Like, <laughs> they, that, that's, people still underestimate, dude, because obviously like they didn't make a deeper run here. They beat Faze. Man, that team is still really legit. The core of that squad is really hard to beat. Yeah. yeah. For the topic you bring up, I have a couple angles. One is just, yeah, I think the legacy conversations are going to be stifled for a bit because, like you say, 
with the old timers that were able to play so many majors in such a quick span of time, it really does mess up so many of these conversations and has to, you have to provide so much extra context and nuance just to have a, a balanced discussion of like who actually won more prestige events when there were five prestige events per year before at some points, whereas now it's like four uh, or if even four. In fact, it's just three this year. So that's one thing that's frustrating. I will say that the one kind of subplot that I think some people can get excited about, hopefully, is that some of the teams that keep winning or that have won keep winning and try to find some more notches in the Grand Slam, at least build up to True. that. If it's just okay. if it's just a bunch of random teams that are winning, like I don't I don't know who's going to win pro league for example but let's just say out of nowhere it's like an apex or something just god knows who but okay. like then we're, like, re we're really we're... letting our flight of fancy go here but okay yeah <laughs> yeah like just just a team that like is not actually going to probably win the grand slam then it's like oh what the hell what the hell was the point of that event it's like well well other than just being like i guess we have to pay attention to apex a little closer now but we're not actually going to think in the greater picture here that that's going to amount to too much of anything so it would be cool if there was something out there. That's why I was, I, I, in a way, also my uh, a side point to what I, my first good point here, which was that it's good to see this CAC event. Uh, I didn't really mention this earlier, but it's just that it's just that more tournament organizers have a chance. It seems like to get involved, and for this CAC, I actually know, who, like Thorin, who runs? I think PGL is going to run the actual like white label the event, but okay, Perfect World, the company behind it. The problem is, as far as I know, I think they always partnered with PGL to run the CSGO events. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. It'd be, yeah, for, for the, so for that, like, it would have been really cool, for example, to see, like, you know, barring the conflict in Eastern Europe, like an epicenter comeback or just some event that sure. has the chance to at least create a prestige type environment. Sure. I mean, epicenter would just be maybe eight, but people remember who won a lot of the epicenter. I mean, my favorite one, obviously, was the Star Series. Like, look, it might yeah, not have been like, it wasn't yeah. Cologne, but everyone knows the tournament format, I mean, it was a mega competitive event where we'd have like, the Swiss system, best of threes, and, like all the top teams. Those are really good events. Everyone remembers who won those events. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, just some, some other TO coming to the space and trying to punctuate the end of the year beyond just the normal suspects of, of Blast and ESL. That would have been really nice to see.